Lord and our God, ruler of the universe. I ask that you'll speak through me to each one of us. Your name would be honored and glorified. In Yeshua's name, amen. Our topic tonight is from, Hebrew, or from Hosea chapter 11. Uh, this first verse we've looked at once before. We, we did chapter 10. We, we ended actually here. So I'd like to review it again. It's a, kind of a very significant uh, verse. and has uh, very broad um, implications in this understanding. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. It says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So right here, Israel is referred to as God's son, and he called us out of Egypt because he loved us. Not for any other reason, but because he loved us. The book of Matthew talks about, chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, talks about Joseph, that he took the young child, Yeshua, into Egypt until the death of Herod, because Herod was threatening to kill and killed uh, all the children two years and older, uh, under, uh, in Bethlehem, and so Joseph takes the young child Yeshua into Egypt until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, and so Matthew is quoting some prophecy in the Bible that says that Yeshua the Messiah was going to come and that he was going to come out of Egypt. And this is, then he says this, 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 that uh, the Messiah being there, Yeshua being there, until the time of Herod's death would fulfill some prophecy and the prophecy that he then quotes written by the prophet saying that out of Egypt I have called my son. So he's quoting Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. And again Matthew refers to Hosea as a prophet and we've seen that he is a prophet. He's a prophet of the Lord. Right? And so we see the two there listed together. Hosea 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Now at first reading, that might just sound like a history lesson. That Hosea is just reminding us of God's greatness, that he delivered us out of Egypt um, with the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and everything. But, uh, but Hosea is not primarily a historian. He is primarily a prophet. And that's the point that Matthew is bringing out, that he wasn't just referring to that in the historical sense, but that was prophetic in, in meaning. And so then uh, Matthew then takes that and he says, that's fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, that out of Egypt I have called my son. And so basically the second part is, is an identical match, just shift, shifting the words a little bit. But the key that he's, that he's overlapping is Israel, the term Israel in Hosea, Matthew is using to refer to Yeshua. It's referring to Yeshua as the one who came out of Egypt and is God's son whom God loved. Which does match up with, with the rest of the scriptures. That, uh, it's called his beloved son, right? Um, and so uh, Yeshua is his beloved son. It is God's beloved son. And he was in Egypt and he did come out of Egypt and God called him out of Egypt. Also literal, Israel was, is loved by God, was in Egypt, and came out of Egypt. And so Yeshua is the fulfillment, or, he's, or Israel prophesied, or Israel as a nation 
foreshadowed the Messiah. And so the Messiah comes then and he does the things that fulfilling, or the, the, the type, meaning the anti-type, of what foreshadowed and then the reality. And we see that a lot in Yeshua's life. Uh, we wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, Yeshua was in the wilderness for 40 days. Um, came out to safety, that's right, and he came out in safety, that's right. And so a lot of things that Yeshua did that, uh, in, while we were in the wilderness, God provided bread, the manna down from heaven, Yeshua uh, prayed and, and loaves were manifested. And a lot of things, of the miracles that Elijah did, that God did through Elijah, Yeshua then duplicated and did also. And so a, a lot of the things overlap, and, and so Yeshua comes as the fulfillment of all those things. So all those things, the life of Moses, the life of David, the life of, 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 of literal, of the man Israel and then of the nation Israel foreshadowed the Messiah to come in imperfect ways, but uh, because many of them sinned, David sinned, Moses sinned, you know, where Yeshua did not, they foreshadowed in when they were doing right, the life of Yeshua. And so Yeshua comes as the fulfillment of all those things. And so Matthew says he came as the fulfillment of what the nation of Israel was proclaiming and demonstrating and living out. Yeshua just did it in a more perfect way. And, and so here is that match. And, and literally the word Israel literally means prince with God, overcomer with God. Uh, Jacob had his name changed to Israel by God when he wrestled with God. First he thought he was a man. Uh, in other places it's described as an angel, but in other places it's referred to as God. And, and he, Jacob wrestles with him. And he says, bless me. And he says, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel for, or because, as a prince, with God and with man, you have prevailed, or you have overcome. And certainly that applies to Yeshua. Yeshua is the prince of God who has overcome, who has prevailed with God and with man. And, and so... He is the fulfillment of it. And so as we look at a lot of times how, how the term Israel is used, we need to see this dual application to the literal, but also to Yeshua. And then, of course, to Yeshua, and then everyone who's attached to Yeshua would be part of him and, uh, and then also part of Israel. And so this is a beautiful text in, in how Matthew takes that and applies that very accurately. Isaiah chapter 2. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to carved images. So in, in verse 1, he talks about that God loved him and called him out of Egypt and, and, and poured out these blessings upon Israel. And then in verse 2, he says, but they sacrificed to the Baals. And again, we have to see all these overlapping themes through Hosea can take us back to the very first chapters where, where we're told that Hosea is told to go and marry this, this harlot and he takes her and loves her and demonstrates love to her. And then she goes and backs and, and plays the harlot again. And then he's told to go and, and bring her back again, and he does again. And so we see this, this analogy taking place a lot of times throughout Hosea. And here again we see it clearly. God first loved us, and then we sin. And we sacrifice to the Baals and rebel. So verse 3. God says, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. 
I stooped and I fed them. Oh, what beautiful imagery he uses here. I mean, there's, and Hosea was a, a parent and had several children. Remember, named them these, these odd names, uh, predicting and prophesying and, and, and demonstrating uh, what God was feeling towards the people. Now we were acting. But he says, he taught us to walk, taking us by the arm, step by step, as a little child, and walking them along, walking across the street with them, and helping them out, and them not even realizing how much we do for them, how much we change their diapers, and, 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 and feed them right, and do all these things for them, and healing them, and not even realizing, they didn't even know that I am the one who's actually providing for all their needs, and not really understanding or grasping how much that takes to, to, to raise a child. But I am the one who healed them. So God is there, right? And so they're worshiping the Baals, but he says, I still walked with them, and I taught them, and I, I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I mean, this beautiful parental imagery that God is placing upon Israel, his son, his children, his people. I was to them as those who take the yoke from the neck. And, and so now, again, that, that, that farming imagery of uh, the cattle, and, and uh, you know, they're working real hard and, and pulling with these yoke and the, the two... Uh, two animals pulling the, the, uh, the cart or whatever and with this yoke on and they're hot and sweaty and a long day of, of, of uh, working in the fields and then, and then you take that off their back. And how many people, none of us have done that, I was in but maybe if you've gone backpacking. Have you gone backpacking and carried a backpack for a long time up a steep hill, worked hard with that, struggling with that and for hours and you're sweating? And then someone says, here, let me carry that for a while for you. You know, it, it feels real good. You know, it's just that taking that relief off of that. You know, that, that burden off of our back. And, and, and helping to carry it for us. And so he's saying, I am the one who came. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I, helped, I came and I carried, I took the yoke off of them. And I carried their load for them. I stooped down and I fed them. God comes down to us. Oh, what great love God has for us. He loves us. He takes us out of Egypt. He takes us out of the, 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 the bondages of this world. Delivers us from our natural, carnal nature. And then even if we've fallen back into that, he loves us. And he tries to teach us. And he draws us with gentle cords. Bands of love. What a wonderful God we have. What a beautiful God. What a beautiful picture Hosea's portraying of our loving God. Then he says, verse 5, But the Assyrians shall be his king because they refused to repent. The sword shall slash in his cities and consume them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. And so even though he, he took us out of bondage, and that we rebelled, and that he reached down and stooped down to our level and fed us, walked us by the hand, healed us, took our burden off our back, draws us with cords of love, gently, Yet, if we refuse to repent, so 
obviously with his cords of love and, and all those other things that mentioned there, there must have been a message of repentance. That it says here that they refused to repent. It needs to be a part of the message. That's a part of the message of God. God's love is demonstrated not just to keep us in our sins. Yes, God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. He doesn't want to leave us in the muck and the mire. He wants to lift us up out of it. He loves us while we're dirty, but he wants to wash us up. He created us, and he wants to recreate us. He loves us though we, though we are, you know, smell, but he wants to purify us and cleanse us. He doesn't want to leave us, us to stay in that condition. So we, we can't mistake God's love for, yes, even when we're yet sinners and even while we are a mess for his desire for us to stay that way. He does not have a desire for us to stay that way. But he loves us and he wants to draw us and change us. When he had Hosea marry that prostitute, he didn't want Hosea nor God wanted Gomer to stay a prostitute. The whole idea of him marrying would take her out of that lifestyle. So God wants to take us out of that lifestyle. He doesn't say, when you clean up your act, then come to me. No, Hosea, he sent Hosea to go and take her while she was still in that. And so he comes at us first. He comes to us first. And he draws us out first. He first loved us. Before we knew him, he first loved us. Before we loved him, before we repented, he first lo loves us. And he draws us. And even while we're in re rebellion, he is drawing and attempting to bring us back to him. But if we refuse to repent, if we refuse to confess our sins, if we refuse to accept the Messiah's sacrifice uh, in, to take away those sins, to deliver us from those sins, to take that burden of sin off of our back and to lay them on Yeshua and allow him to pay the penalty for them, for him to take our place, for our carnal nature to actually be taken and placed in him and for us to die in him. And allow him then to be resurrected in that newness of life and then for him to come in us and live in us and through us and thus transform us from the inside out. That whole process is not something that we can do on our own. Again, he doesn't sit back and say, well, when you, you know, stop doing that and start doing right, then I'll be here for you. No, because he knows that we'll never be able to stop doing that in our own strength. Nor will we ever be able to start doing right things in our own strength. It's only in him. It's only in him first coming to us. Him first sending the Messiah. Messiah first dying for us. Messiah first paying the price for all our sins even before we confess them. Even before we repented of them. He's already paid the price for it. Oh, what love. But if we refuse to repent, if we refuse to confess, if we refuse his love to transform us, we say, well, great, I'm glad you love me, but you know what, I'd rather do this. I'd rather stay in my sins. I'd rather continue in rebellion. I'd rather continue in my selfishness. I'd rather continue to do what I want to do. I'd rather continue living the lifestyle that I am living. Then he'll give us over to the Syrians. And that's what he said would happen. And sure enough, not long after Hosea, the Syrians come through. They become our king. They rule over 
and they take the northern ten tribes and disperse them, consumed from the sword slashing through the cities. And then as verse 7 then ends, it says, Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalts him. That could be understood two different ways. Most High could as well refer to pagan gods, Most Highs, and them not exalting the people. Or it can refer to the Most High, the Lord God. And though they call to him, none exalt him, none exalt God. It's more than just calling to him. It's more than just praying. It's more than just saying, singing songs. It's more than just crying out in our time of need. There needs to be coupled with repentance. It's more than just God will help me out of this situation again. But I have no intention of leaving that lifestyle. I have no intention, no desire, no, don't want your love. I just want your help. So there they call for help. None truly exalting God. None acknowledging God, your way is right. You know what's best. You created me. You know me better than I know me. You know the future you have for me better than I know. You know the plans and they're good plans that you have for me. You know what's right. You know what's best. And you're concerned for the long term. While the selfish indulgence right now today might seem very tempting and, and very sweet, and give pleasure for a moment or for a season, you're more concerned for the long term. You want me to be happy for eternity in this life and in the life to come. And so if we don't exalt him in those ways, acknowledging him as Lord and God, acknowledging him as really the Most High, more than just again calling, help me from the Syrians, but help me from myself. I saw an interesting cartoon uh, this week. Uh, th this guy is praying and he's saying, Lord, smite my enemies, smite all my enemies, my worst enemies, smite them, Lord God. Send a plague of locust upon my enemies. And then the next slide, the guy is down there, he's praying, and these locusts come swarming through all over him. And he says, that's not exactly what I meant. <laughs> yeah. We are our own worst enemies. <laughs> so we can call, oh God, help us from our enemies, crying out to the Most High God, save us from our enemies. But if we're not exalting him and acknowledging that we are our own worst enemies, Lord, save me from myself. Save me from my carnal heart. Deliver me from my desires to do wrong. Set me free by your power and by your might and your glory. You know, and some things, just some seemingly simple things. This, uh, this one person uh, who's been emailing me, this person has been involved in, in uh, video games, computer games or whatever, you know, and, and uh, uh, violent and, and, and even occultish. Um, a lot of them are. A lot of them deal with witchcraft and all these kind of things. Oh, but it's seemingly, you know, it, it, it's, it's just pretend and it's just a game. Um, but the person's under conviction, otherwise they wouldn't be, you know, uh, excusing it away and talking about it and bringing it up and, 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 and struggled with giving it up and then gave it up and took time and struggled. 
And then finally after, oh, I won't play for an hour, or I won't do it for a day, finally got to the point, okay, I got it off my computer. I deleted it off my computer. Praise the Lord. And then unfortunately the next day, put it back on. <laughs> Our carnal nature, you know, is just so drawn to such stupid stuff. You know, I mean, simple, seemingly, you know, who needs that, right? Can I get on with life without that? But it just shows the draw and the pull of the carnal nature, how hard it is in our own strength, how impossible in our own strength to even stop a seemingly simple thing that we can live without. You know, I mean, there's tougher things you know, uh, that, uh, that we have, natural inclinations for, natural desires for, like eating. You know, I mean, you know, so there's things that are very hard, much harder because they are daily necessities. You know, our life type of things, or, or even talking, right? You know, or, or the uh, selfish motives, or the, or the motives of the heart that are just so natural. But just that little demonstration on how hard it is to give up even something that's so external, that we've lived without for thousands of years. <laughs> that once we get addicted to it, it's hard to give it up, uh, you know, even for a day, without God's strength. And so it's more than just calling out, oh God, I love you, or oh God, help me. Uh, it's more than just singing praises, but it's repenting. It's allowing him to be Lord, be master. Allowing him to be creator and recreator of our hearts and lives. That means to exalt him. And so they weren't exalting him. They might have been calling out to him, and no doubt they were calling out to him. Again, the Syrians are coming in and slashing through the cities and consuming them. And imagine, you know, they're calling out. Uh, but that's, it's different between calling out and exalting him. Truly exalting him. And then verse 8. How can I give you up Ephraim, how can I hand you over Israel? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come with terror. And so even after this, he comes and we rebel and he comes again with cords of love and gentle cords and and, and demonstrations and kneeling down and feeding us and healing us, walking with us. We rebel again. We refuse to repent. He's still longing, is still there. And he's still crying out. As he knows we've surrendered to the Assyrians, so we surrendered to the devil, and they're going to just destroy us and kill us. And the devil's going to just have his heyday against us. God cries out. He doesn't say, well, I tempted three times, tough luck. You're on your own. You deserve it. No, he says, how can I give you up? He cries out. His heart churns within him. Do you ever picture God that way? That God's heart is turning? God's heart is all messed up? That God's heart is breaking for us? God's heart pains when he sees us hurting ourselves? When he sees us making wrong choices, when he sees us rebelling against him, being indifferent to his love, his heart just breaks. What a God. I don't think there's any other concept of any other gods that have ever been painted a beautiful picture, a loving God like this. God whose heart breaks for us whose sympathy is stirred. 
God who's sympathetic to us. A God who cries. A God who hurts. A God who feels our pain. And a God who's pained by our actions and by our choices. What a loving God. What a beautiful depiction of God in this book of Hosea. And in the Bible as a whole. He says, I will not again destroy Ephraim, which kind of indicates that he allowed us to be destroyed, which he, history proves out that he did. He allowed us to be destroyed. I mean, he will allow free choice, and he will allow us to bear the results of our choices. He will allow sin to run its course. He does not stop everything. There is an end result to our choices and our actions. If we sell ourselves out to the devil, well, again, we're already sold out to the devil. If we remain in that state and choose to remain in that state and refuse God's deliverance, God will not step in against his own laws of free choice. If we want to run with the devil, he'll allow us to do that and allow us to bear the end result. But then he promises, but I will not again destroy Ephraim. So right there, there's a, there's a promise for the future. That God's going to do something again for Israel. He's already called us out of Egypt. He's already walked with us. And now he's saying, I will again reach out to Ephraim. For I am God and not man. The Holy One in your midst, I will not come with terror. So he's prophesying another opportunity for Israel. And then the next verse goes right along with this, verse 10. They shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. Coming of the second coming of the Messiah. When he comes as lion, he comes, he came the first time as a lamb, the next time he comes as the lion, comes as a roar. When I roar like a lion, they will walk after the Lord. There will be a repentance, there will be a coming back of Ephraim. He will roar like a lion when he roars. Then his sons shall come trembling from the west. And I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. They will come trembling. They will come repentantly. And they will walk after the Lord. Walking in his light, walking in his truth. Trembling and coming from the west. I found that interesting. Because the Assyrians came from the northeast. We were dispersed, because again, Israel's right on the Mediterranean Sea. So most of Babylon, everything else that happened, came from the east. The west is Mediterranean Sea. You go northwest, okay, you've got Rome eventually, then comes from, from the northwest. But he says they will come trembling from the west. So he's obviously predicting and God foreseeing that at some point we weren't always going to be taken by Babylon and Egypt south, you know, that we would be taken east. I mean, taken west. And that we would come from the west. The repentance would come from the west. And that's where eventually Israel was dispersed. Rome comes in, disperses us through the Roman Empire. And then, you know, years later, many now living here in Israel. 
from the, uh, from, from the United States, from the West. He's prophesying that. Then his sons shall come trembling from the West, and I will let them dwell in their own houses. Beautiful promise of redemption. God drawing and drawing and drawing. Now, of course, many have died along the way, both physically and eternally. But he's offering, again, an open door for repentance. That by the time he comes, roaring as a lion, we will walk with the Lord. And we will come trembling, humbly, repentantly before him. And he will let us dwell in the houses that he's preparing for us. She said, I go to prepare a place for you. That when I come, I will come to take you to where I am. So he's preparing houses for us, mansions for us. And he will let us dwell there when he comes again to take us unto himself. What a beautiful picture of God. I'd like to read a little story to you. Chicken soup story. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, lived two young men. Now, either way it starts off, it doesn't sound like a true story, but beautiful analogy. <clears throat> Much like many young men that you may know today. The two brothers were likable, but undisciplined, with a wild streak in them. Their mischief behavior turned serious when they began stealing sheep from the local farmers, a serious crime in this pastoral place, so long ago and far away. In time, the thieves were caught. The local farmers decided their fate. The true brothers would be branded on their forehead with the letters ST for sheep thieves. This sign they would carry with them for the rest of their lives. One brother was so embarrassed by the branding that he ran away and was never heard from again. The other brother, filled with remorse and reconciled to his faith, chose to stay and try and make amends to the villagers he had wronged. At first, the villagers were skeptical and would have nothing to do with him. But this brother was determined to make reparation for his offenses. Whenever there was a sickness, the sheep thief came to care for the ill with soup and a soft touch. Whenever there was work needing to be done, the sheep thief came to help with a lending hand. It made no difference if the person were rich or poor. The sheep thief was there to help. Never accepting pay for his good deeds, he lived his life for others. Many years later, a traveler came through the village and sitting at a sidewalk cafe eating lunch, the traveler saw an old man with a strange brand on his forehead seated nearby. The, street, the stranger noticed that all the villagers who passed the old man stopped to share a kind word, to pay their respects. Children stopped their play to give and receive a warm hug. Curious, the stranger asked the cafe owner, what does that strange brand on the old man's forehead stand for? I don't know, 
It happened so long ago, the cafe owner replied. Then pausing briefly for a moment of reflection, he continued, but I think it stands for saint. God is able to transform our hearts. And that's what he wants to do in each one of us. Regardless of our past, regardless of our rebellions, regardless of our inner longings and leanings towards sin, and corruption in the pits of this world, the outward and the inward struggles against sin that we go through, God is able transform our hearts. We're willing to receive of him and to let him into our hearts and our minds. We're willing to surrender to him and accept his lordship, accept him as the most high God, accept his will to be accomplished in our lives, to accept his drawing love, his cords, his gentle cords of love, to allow us, to allow him to draw us onto himself to accept his sacrifice in our behalf, to accept the death to the old carnal nature, and to allow him to come inside us and live out his life through us and for us. He can change us from sheep thieves to saints by his power and by his grace. He will let us dwell in his house forever. As we pray together, if you're needing some redemption in your life, if there's some area that you've been struggling with and you're needing God's power, maybe you've been drawn to God and have backslidden and gone back and forth and God's been tempting and working in your life, let him draw you again. If the Syrians have come in and have attacked you and harassed you and slashed your cities and destroyed your life. Surrender to God. His door is still open. He's roaring like a lion. He's calling your name. Maybe you've been tarnished. Maybe you've got a bad reputation. Maybe because of something you've done or maybe falsely. Allow God to work in your life. It's so transform us that people forget the past and only see God's love demonstrated in our lives. Or maybe there's someone in your life that is needing the Lord right now and you want to intercede and pray for them. So if this applies to you, or maybe you're thinking of someone else, so we pray together. Let us be lifted up before the Lord and drawn by his love. So we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful, Lord, for your relentless love. We're thankful that you don't give up. We're thankful, Lord, that you have first called us. We're thankful that you created us. And you desire good for us. We're thankful that you have delivered us from Egypt through the sacrifice of the Messiah. We're thankful, Yeshua, that you have come as our overcomer, as a prince with God. And you have prevailed against mankind and against the devil. You've prevailed with God. Lord, prevail in our lives and make us Israel as well. Make us overcomers with you. Make us princes and princesses with you. Live in our lives and in our hearts. And may you stamp our foreheads and our hands and our hearts with your stamp. 
Make us saints for you. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.